0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that this morning you would once again open it up to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first question that Jesus asks the disciples as they journey to Caesarea Philippi is a safe one. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And it was a safe question because it could merely be an academic question. Any question that asks for your input about what people think is relatively easy to answer. No personal commitment is required. Some people say this, and some people say that, and some people say the other. It's a question that can still be asked and debated today. And the disciples were happy to answer the question Jesus posed. Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They answer him. Interestingly, All those answers assume that Jesus was a reincarnated past hero of the faith and suggest that Jesus was held in high esteem by everybody. I mean, Elijah and Jeremiah were among some of the greatest past heroes and prophets of the faith. But I can't help wondering if the disciples were just telling Jesus what they thought he wanted to hear or perhaps they just wanted to encourage him. After all, there were plenty of people who opposed Jesus, who felt threatened by Jesus, and who took offense at him. By this point in Matthew's Gospel, we've seen people laugh at Jesus, we've seen people begging him to leave their neighborhood, we've seen people accuse him of blasphemy, of Sabbath-breaking, and even of doing the work of the devil himself. In a way, it's not so different today. There are plenty of people who may have a reasonably high view of Jesus, that he was a great moral teacher or a good example. And then there are also those who think that Jesus and all that he represents for religion and the church is the cause of wars and division, and that we, his followers, are frankly dangerous people who ought to be silenced, canceled, or ghosted. But returning to Jesus' question, I have a feeling that the disciples knew <laughs> that Jesus was more than people were saying he was. And I think Jesus knew that they knew. After all, the disciples had traveled with Jesus. They'd heard him speak out against injustice and lambast the religious leaders. They'd they'd also seen him heal people, and they'd heard him teach. Jesus, the disciples knew, was a real man who got hungry and thirsty and tired. He knew anger and passion, tears and sweat. And these are just a few of the examples that we find in the Gospels. And yet they also knew that he was more than just a man. He was more than God's messenger and prophet. Jesus was God's Messiah. He was not just speaking God's word against the wicked rulers of the time. He was God's king who would supplant them. And so here on this occasion, Jesus gives the disciples the opportunity to say out loud what they may have been wondering to themselves. And Jesus, of course, changes up the question, never mind what people are saying. Who do you say that I am? Now it's personal. No longer is this such a safe question. And it's the question each and every one of us needs to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, as was often the case, it is Peter who speaks first, and note the clarity and the boldness with which he speaks. He doesn't say, for example, well, I think you might perhaps be the Messiah. He doesn't say, well, for us, you are uh, uh, the Christ. No, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It doesn't get much clearer and bolder than that. And in saying such a thing, Peter is saying, you are the true king. You are the one that Israel has been waiting for. You are God's son, the one of whom is written, in the Psalms and the prophets. And this statement was to put it mildly, highly charged, extremely bold, and a dangerous political thing to say. If Jesus was the true king, then where did that leave local Herod Antipas, or even the great Caesar in Rome? But again, let's bring it home. What about us today? If you say that Jesus is king, where does that leave President Trump? Where does that leave former Vice President Biden? Where does that put your politics? We are in the thick of election season. The Democratic Party convention's just finished, and the Republican Party convention is about to start. And now we start to get uncomfortable, with good reason, perhaps, when our faith seems to come into conflict with our politics. But I have to say, as I've said before, politics, are not a no-go area for Christians or even from this pulpit. We're not called to be bland or gentle Christians, meek and mild. Now, I need to add to that, I will never use this pulpit to try and score party political points, and nor will I seek to tell parishioners how they should vote. But if Jesus is our king, when any president court, elected official, uh, whomever in authority legislates, rules, or declares things that are contrary to God's word, we should not be silent. And as I have said before, some things are not about right and left, rather they are about right and wrong. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he demands our first allegiance way, way, way above any political party or human ideology. My loyalty, my duty, my responsibility as a member of the kingdom of God must always supersede my loyalties, duties, and responsibilities as a citizen of both the United States and the United Kingdom. The kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated is a radically new and different community than that of our prevailing culture. Whether that be the the culture of the great Roman Empire of old or our culture today in the United States. Now as then, Jesus invites all who will to follow him and to become a part of his radical community. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, men and women, all together. And today we might add, Anglicans and Baptists, black and white, rich and poor, weak and strong, people from respectable backgrounds and great learning, people from rough backgrounds and little formal education, all are invited, all are welcome. But if we, like Peter, dare to answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, with a resounding, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then as I said a moment ago for the children, then what's the next question? What comes next? There are consequences to declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. To accept that Jesus is our King, well... It means we're not the boss of ourselves. It means we have to surrender our own autonomy and sovereignty. And I think that way of thinking, and more importantly, that way of being and acting, is supremely difficult for most Americans. It it completely goes against the grain of our nation's history. We don't want to submit. We don't want to accept the sovereignty of anybody else. That sounds terrible. Well, that's the gospel, and it's good news, so keep listening. It changes everything. You know, we have a a tradition at Ascension around this time of the year, as we approach the start of a new academic year, whatever that may look like uh, now. But we have this tradition of commissioning the congregation for their service in the church and in the world. And we're going to be doing that again next Sunday. Actually, in one sense, you know, we do this every Sunday in our post-communion prayer. When we pray, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. That's our vocation as Christians, wherever God has called us to live, to work, to be, to serve. But as we approach this special time of commissioning next week, I want to say something about it today so that you can be ready next Sunday to, if you're willing, recommit your life and vocation in the service of King Jesus. I was talking with someone about this not so long ago um, who asked me why we do this. And so just let me give you the history of this commissioning that we do. And it's something that I inherited when I first came to Ascension almost 17 years ago. It started out as a commissioning of our Sunday school teachers at the start of a new school year. But after I'd done that a couple of years, someone rightly challenged me and said, you know, that's great, but what about all the other people who serve God in this church with their gifts of time um, and devotion and music and, you know, whatever it is? And I thought, well, yes, good point. And then somebody else challenged me by asking, yeah, and what about the vast majority of the congregation for whom their principal working out of saying that Jesus is my king, their principal following of Jesus gets lived out in the workplace or at home from Monday through Saturday? Indeed. So I'm glad for the place our annual fall commissioning service now has in our life together it's pretty comprehensive. It's very challenging. And frankly, every single time we do it, I find it very uncomfortable. So I want us to take a moment to look at the prayer that you'll be invited to pray next week. If you're here in the uh, nave, you have a, a handout, and it's going to come up on your screen to my left. Uh, Uh, so you can see what this is. So what I want to do is I'm going to just simply read the prayer and you can follow along as I'm reading and then I'll have something else to say about it. So this is what the prayer says. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposable. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. These words are the words of John Wesley's covenant prayer, and they go back to their institution by Wesley in the 1780s. Today it's included as one of the prayers for personal devotion in our prayer book. And it's a very hard prayer to pray. If you are a successful career person with a fine job and a great income, and people think highly of you, you get to pray, let me be empty, let me be laid aside for you, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Of course, that's not just uh, hard sincerely to pray if you're successful. It's also super hard to pray if you're not doing what you thought you'd be doing. If you are unemployed or underemployed, if you've been furloughed or fired. It's hard to pray because of age, perhaps, or illness. You are no longer working or living as you once did or would like to live. But the point of this is to recognize and own and, you know, what follows when we answer today's question, who is Jesus? When we we answer that question whether he is the king, then it really means that he is first, he is sovereign, and that is for Jesus alone. And so following Jesus is costly business. And as Christians, we're called to sacrifice our own wills, our own pleasures, to do the will of the Father, even as Jesus himself did the will of the Father. And of course, it is in Christ that we see the perfect demonstration of God's love for us and the perfect model of how to live and love and serve. When we say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One, the Savior of the world, then it is this Jesus, the crucified Jesus, that we are declaring to be our Lord. And Jesus challenges us to serve one another, to take up our cross and to follow him. When we say yes to Jesus, it is usually, nearly always hard and costly. But that's what God's love and grace is all about. Yes, Jesus takes me just as I am, but the grace of God does not leave us just as we are. Rather, God longs to mold us into the people he calls us to be. And so every Christian is called to be a cross-bearer. That's what discipleship is about. It's about living each day as obedient and faithful followers of Christ. And of course we'll mess up. Of course we'll fall down. But we come back again and again for mercy, for forgiveness, for grace, for healing. This is the most rewarding thing anyone can ever do with their lives. And it's the most challenging and sacrificial thing anyone can ever do. It will involve your energy, your money, your time, your gifts, your relationships, your desires, your work, Your whole life. So today, the question of Jesus, who do people say that the Son of Man is, remains a vital question. But his follow-up question is one that counts the most. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Amen.